We've been hearing a lot about how Donald Trump and Tom Price, who heads the Department of Health and Human Services, have been sabotaging the Affordable Care Act, the ACA. Uh, but I wanted to dig into the details and get a sense of what that really means. I'm joined now by someone who's been tracking this very issue. Sam Berger is a senior policy advisor specializing in healthcare issues at the Center for American Progress, a uh, big DC think tank aligned with the Democrats. Sam, welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, we're going to talk about Trump's refusal to pay subsidies to insurers for reducing the out-of-pocket costs of low-income people in the exchanges. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you a big-picture question. About 3.5 million more Americans are uninsured today than when Donald Trump was sworn in t 10 months ago. That's a, according to Charles Gabba, who, who tracks those numbers. How much of that change can we attribute to the actions of the White House and Republicans more broadly? Well, uh, you know, with these things, it's always hard to pin an exact number, but I, I think it's fair to say that a substantial portion, uh, if not all of that change, is a result of their actions. You know, since the Affordable Care Act really took effect, we've seen a precipitous decline in the number of uninsured people, more and more folks gaining coverage, 20 million people. Uh, the last time the, the administration w was focused on counting positive numbers about the ACA, um, and now, you know, we're seeing those those uh, improvements reverse. We're seeing fewer folks. And I think, you know, there's it's hard to pin uh, exactly uh, what type of sabotage effort would, you know, lead uh, what number of folks to leave, you know, whether it was the constant threats to repeal the Affordable Care Act that we saw uh, earlier in the year, which may have caused some folks to think it was repealed or not look to get coverage because they didn't believe it was there, you know, whether it was um, some of the sabotage that has significantly increased premiums in the marketplace that have left some folks uh, to decide that they, they don't want to have coverage. Um, it's hard to pinpoint any one thing, but it's clear that there was a trajectory of um, greater coverage, fewer uninsured. And as soon as Donald Trump became president and started trying to undermine this law, you know, we saw a reverse. So, you know, I think it's concerning and it, and it reflects the fact that this sabotage sort of isn't just uh, crazy in a political sense or unusual in a political sense, you know, that you would have a president actively working to undermine a duly enacted law. It has real consequences for people, you know, yeah. people that are going to be paying more uh, for their coverage or in this case, people that won't have coverage at all. And, you know, God forbid uh, they have a need of that coverage it won't be there for them. And then they can, uh, you know, that that has you know tremendous consequences in folks' lives. Now, Trump, Trump constantly claims that the Affordable Care Act is unraveling. Very briefly, can you just tell us what the real status of the law is, was when, when Donald Trump was sworn in? Oh, it was quite strong. You know, like I said, the Affordable Care Act has been uh, fantastically successful in reducing uh, the uninsured rate, reducing it to the, the lowest it's ever been in this country. Um, and we did see in 2017 uh, a price adjustment by you know premium increase that reflected insurers still getting used to a new market, uh, a couple changes that happened that year. Um, and then uh, what we've seen from the financial statements since then is that insurers were moving uh, towards profitability in some cases, you know, getting uh, significantly into uh, the black. And the anticipation was that we were going to see you know, low premium increases this year reflecting the you know continual cost increase of medical care. Instead, we're seeing very large increases. Um, and while for the majority of Americans uh, that buy their insurance through the marketplace, they'll be protected because they receive tax credits that increase with premiums. It's really the middle class that will be hardest. They're the ones that don't see um, 
th- that aren't eligible for those tax credits because of their income. And so they'll bear the full brunt of these 15, 20, 25, 30 percent cost increases that are the result of Trump's sabotage. Now, we're going to talk about concrete actions, but um, how has the uncertainty around the future of this Affordable Care Act? You mentioned this briefly, you know, with these not only the repeated attempts to repeal it, but um, Trump's threats to cut off the cost sharing payments before he did. How has that impacted the law? Uh, So there are really three ways that it has an impact. Um, The first is on prices. So when you're an insurer, you try and figure out how much it's going to cost you for the upcoming year. If there's a threat that there's going to be a huge cost increase um, because uh, the administration is going to undermine the law, then you price that in. You might not price in the full amount of it, right? So if you think there's a 70% chance that something catastrophic happens, um, you won't price in the, the full cost, but you'll price in 70% or you know something along those lines. So it causes premiums to increase. And actually, that's one of the reasons why when he finally canceled the cost sharing reductions, there have been some premium increases, but most of those had already been baked in, so to speak. You know, insurers had already taken that into account and had already increased people's costs. So really, no matter what he had done at that point, you were going to end up seeing some consumers paying more simply because of his sabotage. Um, the second effect that it has is scaring insurers out of the market. You know, insurance is in some cases a, a low-margin business, and you know, insurers want to have some level of uncertainty. If they think the market's not going to be there in one year, two years, they might decide that it's just not worth uh, the the confusion and the the risk and just pull out. And you've seen that. You've seen some of the big insurers continue uh, to leave. You've seen smaller insurers pull out. And you've seen folks say, "Look." Um, I'll either, I was willing to go into a, into a market um, or I'm willing to come back if you just get rid of this uncertainty, if you stop threatening to destroy the marketplace. And I think the third thing that it does is it creates confusion for people. You know, uh, some of us spend sort of every day and night thinking about healthcare, following what's going on, but a lot of people don't, right? They have a lot of things going on in their lives. They can't keep track of every twist and turn. And, you know, they keep hearing all of this talk about how it's failing, it's going to be repealed. It has been repealed. It's not there. And people will think, oh, well, maybe it's not even worth taking a look because either it's not there now or it won't be there in the near future. And we've seen unfortunate uh, percent of people, a pretty sizable percent, that have that concern. Now, that I think those concerns are unfounded, um, but that does lead to people taking actions that ultimately could you know, be really challenging, could, could it cause a lot of pain and suffering on their part if they don't have coverage when they need it. And I just want listeners to understand that the cost-sharing payments that we're talking about, the insurers have to offer those reductions. They have no choice. So if you're an insurer, um, you could be making a fortune in another part of the market. But when you deal with these, this group of insured, you must reduce their cost-sharing regardless of whether those subsidies are coming or not. The subsidies were clearly intended by Congress. It was basically a drafting error, if you will. Um, Republicans challenged the legality of those subsidies, and 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 that's that's how it is. That that's how we came to the point where Donald Trump could unilaterally kill them um, without an act of of Congress. So let's talk about these cost sharing reduction payments. There's an irony here. By cutting those payments, the government will actually have to pay out more money. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is a place where I get tons of information for my writing, 
the government will have to shell out 23% more by not making those payments than it would save by cutting the payments themselves. That amounts to $2.3 billion next year. Sam, how does that work? How can cutting payments cost the government more money? Well, I mean, first of all, I think this reveals, you know, that there's no real policy rationale for doing this. This is sabotage, pure and simple. The three effects of cutting these cost-sharing reductions are a 20% increase in premiums, about a million fewer people having coverage, um, and as you said, you know, hundreds of uh, billions of dollars being spent unnecessarily. Uh, So the reason that this happens is because basically uh, insurers only have two different ways to cover their costs. They cover it through the premiums that you pay uh, or your deductibles and co-pays. So uh, the law now for certain um, eligible folks that receive these cost-sharing reductions says you can't change their deductibles and co-pays. That's set. So the only choice they have is to increase the premiums. Uh, But those same people also receive premium tax credits. Um, That's what I'd mentioned earlier. And those increase dollar for dollar when the premiums go up. In addition, uh, there are other folks. So basically, the premium tax credit covers a wider swath of people in the cost-sharing reductions. Cost-sharing reductions um, cover particularly low-income folks. Premium tax credits go a little bit higher up on the income scale. And so when you increase the premium tax credits, you actually increase the total amount of money that's being spent. Um, And so ultimately what you're left with is sabotage that, ironically enough, for some folks will actually get them a better deal. Again, it's really the middle class that's going to pay the price here. They're the ones that don't get premium tax credits. And so they're going to feel the full brunt of the 20% premium increase as a result of this sabotage. Yeah, I mean, so the all of the um, premium tax credits are tied to a silver plan on the exchange, and so if you bump up the um, premiums for one plan, in other words, basically you'll be bumping up the premiums for everybody receiving those tax credits even if they're not getting the cost-sharing reductions. That's why it pumps up the overall um, spending so so significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so if you're just tuning in, I'm talking Affordable Care Act Sabotage with Sam Berger from the Center for American Progress. Uh, we know that the ACA is a kludgy scheme. It requires a lot of support to make it work. So I, I wanted to ask you what other um, less prominent, there's been a lot of discussion about the CSR payments, less prominent mechanisms that the administration has used to undermine it? Sure. I mean, I think one of the big ones uh, that I, hasn't gotten quite as much attention, although recently it has, and I anticipate will get e- even more attention in, in the coming weeks, has to do with the open enrollment period, basically making it harder for folks to sign up. So they've taken a number of steps there. Uh, one, they've cut the time to sign up in half. So instead of having 90 days where people can go to healthcare.gov and shop around and look at plans, now it's only 45 days. And then on top of that, they're doing maintenance, quote unquote maintenance, for 12 hours on uh, a number of Sundays. So it's even fewer days than the original 45 uh, when you count all those in. They've also drastically reduced marketing. You know, one of these things is, uh, so taking it from, uh, cutting it by about 90%. That's incredibly important because a lot of folks don't have written down on their calendar, you know, today is the day that open enrollment starts. And even if they did, all those dates have changed. So they'd have to know 
that the Trump administration secretly cut this in half. So basically what they're doing is they're giving you less time and they're trying to make it as hard as possible for people to know that it's happening. That's why you're seeing a lot of other groups step up, groups outside of government that care about making sure people have health care, that, that want to make sure people are aware of their options, that are getting the word out. So I think it's really important for folks who care about this law, who care about health care, to make sure everyone knows that open enrollment this year in most states will run from November 1st to December 15th. So it's coming up uh, next Tuesday, I believe, through, or excuse me, next Wednesday, uh, through December 15th. And it's really important that people know uh, those dates and that they go to healthcare.gov and check out their options. Because despite all these efforts at sabotage, for the vast majority of people, they're going to be able to find plans between $50 and $100 a month. And um, so I, I want people to understand how pernicious this is. Sam mentioned that the budget for promoting um, the enrollment period has been cut by 90%. But Sam Stein at the Daily Beast reported, and I quote, the Trump administration has spent taxpayer money meant to encourage enrollment in the Affordable Care Act on a public relations campaign aimed at methodically strangling it. He continues, the effort, which involves a multi-pronged social media push as well as video testimonials designed at damaging public opinion of the law, is far more robust and sustained than has been publicly revealed. So, shorter open enrollment periods, um, maintenance on the website on for 12 hours on Sundays, 90% reduction in the enrollment, in the, in the budget to promote the enrollment, and then they're spending the remaining dollars or a portion of the remaining dollars on trashing the law. Yeah, is... and one other, one other thing that I would mention on that that, that also hasn't gotten as much attention is just the lack of communication from HHS. You know, running uh, a health, you know, running uh, uh, the ACA is complicated. There's a lot of different parts, and each state has a big role to play. They're not just state, but also on-the-ground groups that try and do their job. And they depend on a lot of communication with HHS, with the Department of Health and Human Services that uh, basically runs this program uh, for the government, to understand changes that are being made, when things are coming up, how they can coordinate activities, you know, so there aren't redundancies um, or wasted dollars on uh, doing X, Y, and Z thing that, in fact, the federal government's going to do on its own or isn't as important this year. And you know, those groups have said sort of quietly behind the scenes that they haven't been hearing anything, the sort of normal amount of communication in which there's a lot of give and take where they kind of share what they're seeing on the ground and people are making adjustments to ensure that we're running the most efficient and effective program possible. That's not happening. In fact, in some cases, HHS employees are being told they can't work with outside groups. So when there are opportunities for them to go and explain what's going on, get everyone prepared for open enrollment, they've been told they're not allowed to show up. And events have had to be canceled. So it's it's really a, a kind of a, a whole of government approach to undermining the Affordable Care Act. And, and to be clear, I don't folks shouldn't blame the career officials that are there. They're just following orders. But it's been clear that the political appointees in HHS, the political folks in the White House, you know, they're doing everything that they can to make sure that this law doesn't work, uh, big and small. Uh, it's it's maddening. So speaking of the coordination, not only with outside groups, but, you know, these are um, state-run exchanges. In many cases, the federal government does run some. An unoriginal un un observation is that the red states of America and the blue states of America are like two different countries when it comes to service, social services. Blue mm -hmm. states 
provide far more benefits when it comes to education, healthcare, unemployment, whatever, on down the line. Uh, the ACA has exacerbated that difference thanks to the Supreme Court making the Medicaid expansion optional. So, for example, in the blue states that expanded Medicaid, those earning up to 138% of the poverty line are eligible for the program. But then if you look at a state like Texas or Alabama, the cutoff is just 18% of the poverty line. If you make more than that, you're out of luck. And that's only if you have kids. In 18 of the 19 states that didn't expand their Medicaid programs, people without children are ineligible for Medicaid, no matter how little they earn. So I guess I want to ask um, whether we're seeing these same kind of differences in terms of how states are responding to Trump's moves uh, to undermine the, the Affordable Care Act. Are blue states responding differently in a way that mitigates these threats in any way? Well, they certainly are, and it depends, uh, you know, on the state, on the sort of resources they have, and the extent to which they rely on the federal government uh, for their enrollment. So you see states like uh, New York and California that are taking a wide range of steps to try and uh, mitigate the damage, try and uh, maintain the levels of outreach uh, that they've had in past years. Um, those are two states that uh, basically run their own exchange, run their own marketplace, rather than relying on the federal government. Um, but even in cases where there is reliance on the federal government, there's a lot that states can do in terms of getting the word out, in terms of um, supporting local groups that do that, in terms of uh, elected officials doing what they can uh, using their platform to make sure people are aware uh, of what's going on in their state. Um, I do think you know one of the things you have seen is some traditionally, uh, quote unquote, red states uh, they recognize the problem with increasing people's premiums through sabotage as well. So you've seen states like Alaska look to get um, what's called a, a state innovation waiver, which basically lets you waive certain parts of the Affordable Care Act as long as you're, you, can, you end up providing care that's uh, the same quality to as many people um, for the same cost or cheaper, uh, and you don't increase the deficit. And they've um, put in a program that's actually reduced their premiums uh, by 30%. And Oklahoma tried to do a similar thing, although the, the Trump administration didn't approve it. So you've seen, I think, some recognition, even in some of the reddest places, uh, that these premium increases aren't a good idea. But unfortunately, as with many things, the places where the government, the state government, doesn't like the Affordable Care Act and isn't willing to put in work to help people find out about their options, it's going to be worse there. You're going to see um, you know, less effort to bring in insurers, which will mean higher premiums, and you're going to see fewer people enrolled, which is also going to you know, cause problems for the risk pool, meaning you'll have um, fewer healthier people in, which will cause costs to increase, which you know, will have some real effects. And again, for most people, uh, they'll be fine. Most people in the marketplace uh, will not see an increase in the net premium that they pay, but the middle class really is going to suffer. And it's sort of ironic that the end result of all this is that, you know, Middle class, working class voters in very red states, uh, you know, who people, the Trump administration seems to think is its base, they're the ones that are going to be hurt most by all these efforts at sabotage. They're the ones that are going to see their costs go up. And in some cases, uh, unfortunately, they may not be able to afford care, uh, which, you know, can have disastrous consequences for families. Sam Berger, I believe we're out of time. I really want to thank you for taking the time to uh, speak with me and, and give us a sense of the big picture here. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I, I just want to emphasize again, 
incredibly important to get the word out about open enrollment. The Trump administration is doing everything they can to keep people from knowing about this, so we have to do everything we can to make sure they do. So that's from November 1st to December 15th. Let people know they should go to healthcare.gov, November 1st to December 15th, and uh, most people can find plans for 50 to $100. So there are good deals there, and uh, people that need healthcare should be checking out their options and, and uh, signing up for coverage. And think about going there on a Saturday rather than a Sunday. <laughs> yes.